Hello. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hey. Uh, starting with energy. Energy. Uh, like we're not just sitting at home. Uh, this, today is uh, – we're recording this on March um, 21st. This is Saturday. Um, the Quarren 20s. The Quarren 20s. We, we decided that that is uh, – we've gotten a lot of good feedback on that title. And I, I feel like everyone uh, – Emails are filling up the inbox. Ah, they really are. Yeah, I think you know what. That being said, let's let's uh, let's throw out our our mailbag um, email address. What do you what do you think about yep. that? Um, I, I think what we're going to start to do is let's let's answer a question or two that we have. Um, if you guys have about our our last guest or about us or about what we're doing during the quarantine, or just like a general question about life, like I'm happy to get into it. Yeah. So the email to do that is savingtheworldpod pod at gmail That's saving theworldpod at gmail.com and if we and get remember to rate get, review and subscribe if we get no emails you will never hear about this segment again so the same mm-hmm. um yep. lucas how, how are you how's your quarantine going i mean it was going pretty good then i went for a hike and i got really angry at all the people that weren't social distancing i get it it's hard to take seriously but like it's just it's so much bigger than you just like take just quarantine yourselves just now or we're never going to go to work again yeah it's crazy how people don't realize it not doing it will make it last longer and you're affecting yeah, everyone else. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. If you just do it, it, it'll be over with quicker. If we all just did it, I think, you know, I'm not a doctor. I think this would be over in a week or two. If we all It's did. like, yeah, it's like, do you want to spend uh, uh, a month ripping a Band-Aid off? Or do you want to spend like a year and a half slowly ripping a Band-Aid off? Like, the Band-Aid's got to come off. If we just do it faster altogether... I don't know. I, I think it is amazing how much of us are doing it, though, too, just to stay positive here. There are oh, so yeah, many yeah, yeah. people doing I mean, it. There's so many people who are so alone right now. It's remarkable. It's pretty incredible. Um, I, yeah. I've i been uh, slowly losing my mind. Um, I've just been – It's good that it's slow. Yeah, it's it's been difficult. I started, um, I started doing push-ups. Um, I've never done push-ups in a real way before. How many are you up to? How I'm many up can to you do? 15. One set, one in a row? set, one set. Whoa! Yeah. 15. And how do you feel after? I don't do more. That's the only. That's the only ones I do. Fifteen <laughs> of them. <laughs> if I felt good, I would probably do more. Um. So yeah, that's uh, I, you know, I'm starting I'm to want to climbing. I'm building a climbing wall in my backyard. All right. Yeah. That, this is why? My new project. Why are you doing that? What's that? Why? because uh, like, I mean, I just, I want to do something. I like climbing. What's involved in building I'm, I'm a gonna, climbing I'm wall? I'm going out and I'm going to try and go out into the wild by myself. That could be. We'll see how that works out. Why are you? What? what how do you build a climbing wall? I mean, it's pretty easy, man. You just uh, you get some panels. You oh, buy no. some climbing holes. You're going to get hurt. I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. You can't go. It's just easy to build a climbing wall. You have to make sure that that shit doesn't fall down, man. Yeah, I mean, my neighbor's pretty handy. Like the one, you know, we're keeping distance. There's a lot of sanitizer, but maybe she can like supervise me. She's very handy. Uh, yeah, she can like is... yell stuff from across, like from a from a safe distance. This isn't gonna end well. Um, I do want to say one thing. I'm trying to do. I shut off notifications of news on my phone, um, which has been very helpful. I know it's counterintuitive. I so just to just to say something quickly that I've been pretty mad about. I feel like the news is is really not healthier safe to keep reading over and over again and i think with the problem is we go into it wanting to learn something or wanting to be like i'm gonna um 
I'm going to figure out how to feel better about this or, and it just, it never does that. So if I could just tell everybody, well, I mean, I learned, I learned something pretty cool from the news that I didn't expect to learn what ever, which is what, uh, Anderson, the inside of Anderson Cooper's home looks like. Like I never thought in my life, I I don't like that guy. I would see Anderson Cooper's bookshelves. You know what I mean? That doesn't make me feel good. I don't care about what Ellen's doing during the fucking (laughs) quarantine. Just like, you guys are so rich, and you're you're having so much fun. Like, just I, you know what I want to know. I all I want to know is what the miserable people are dealing with. How, like me, they're probably like, I'm going to gain weight. I'm I don't like talking you're doing to my wife. As man, much. you're on the path of self improvement. It's not working. Um, but yeah, I what I've decided is I'm gonna, and maybe you guys can can take the start. I think what we're looking at news all wrong. I think when you go into the news wanting to learn something or feel better. Or be entertained. It's not going to do that. You got to do it like the weather. I, when I check the weather, it's just for information. Really quickly, I'm not sitting there scrolling through fucking weather reports. I just go, "Hey, what's the weather? Do I wear a raincoat?" <laughs> That's how we should be looking. Yeah, at you don't news. check. You don't check the more popular weather blogs. To I see don't. What they think. I do not. <laughs> and that is how we should look at the news, like the fucking weather. We just go, okay. That is there anything Stay that's going to change what I need to do today? No. Okay. News off. Time to masturbate. Yeah. So my, that's... my friend just sent me a picture from the grocery store. It's insane. Yeah, I don't want to see that moly. either. I just got a picture from the grocery store. There's nothing. I mean, I'm surprised there's still shelves. Honestly. Yeah. Well, right? I wouldn't say that because you don't want people to hoard food, but anymore. No, there's I mean, going to be I'm more. Surprised that people aren't. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they're surprised they're not ripping the wires out of the walls of these places. But eventually, people are going to get food, and they're going to restock, and it's going to slow down. So nobody – please don't hoard. No, I mean I, I think it's just like every day they just sell out of food. You, you think usually? I think that's what's happening right oh, now. Oh, right that's now. My yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my – yeah, yeah. Every day they just sell out of food. And then yeah. they to restock. Look, I think, uh, I think it's – you feel like you're going to starve. You're not going to starve. This is not it's, – it's not going to happen that way. So stop hoarding. Um but hey, you know, uh, hoard those uh, those Netflix views because, you know, is, do you have anything on uh, on uh, Netflix that you're going to get residuals from? Um, just the stuff I'm in. Uh, yeah, like you guys want to watch Raising Hope? I don't know. Did Downer, is yeah, Downer Dog, Dog is not, is nowhere. Uh, go watch uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, oh, you can check out my. I think my CBS show is available on CBS All Access. Uh, if you want to go watch Carol's Second Act. Yeah, it's a goofy sitcom about goofy doctors. Patricia Heaton, Kyle MacLachlan are in it. I'm in it. Like a classic, fun CBS multicam. You know, uh, there's uh, we just had our, we just finished our first season this year, so you know, go check go for that it. Out. Go watch uh, um, uh, Kidding on Showtime. Uh, I mean, I'm, I think I might get a residual from Marriage Story, maybe. Oh yeah, uh, and go watch any anything that anyone's in because uh, everybody needs money. Somebody's making money. Yeah, yeah. somebody's making money. Um, Keep the economy going, you know. Put, but yeah, spread that cash around. Less news, more of this podcast is my uh, is my message to everyone. And we have a great one today. Yes, we do. Really good. Okay, so this guy, um, I found him on. I all I did was Google um, infectious <laughs> disease experts, and this I would guy. Love to know what people's quarantine Google searches are. God, I would love that. Oh yeah, I mean. Somebody's reading them. Somebody's reading everything. But man, I would love to. Read I bet some it's of that. a lot of. Can you get coronavirus from sex? 
is probably a lot of the, is a lot of the searches. <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is definitely yes. But people are searching for sure. Um, uh-huh. Can you get coronavirus from sending cum in the mail? <laughs> can you get it from receiving cum in the mail? Um, okay, so I'm sure Edward's going to be excited about uh, that intro. This, so this is the best intro into, into Ed that we could. We set him up so okay, beautifully this guy with the mail and is, the cum. He is a professor of clinical preventative medicine uh, and the division chief of the Environmental Health Department at Keck School of Medicine, USC. His name is Ed Aval. Um, he has an expertise in exposure assessment and acute chronic respiratory and cardiovascular effects of airborne pollutants in populations at risk, including children, athletes, and subjects with compromised lung function. He was the de- deputy director of the Children's Health Study, and there's a bunch of other incredible stuff that he's done. He is an expert um, in environmental health and how the environment affects you in interesting ways that you might not have known. So we're going to talk yeah, about all he's that. A, he's yeah. a great voice of reason and science yes. in these weird, weird times. And we got into some really interesting subjects. Again, um, we know everything is scary. Um, we're not trying to scare anybody more. And this is going to be – we're going to get into some serious stuff, but um, there's no need to be afraid of listening to this one. It's going to be really interesting. And, yeah. uh, and we have Silver some hopeful, Hope. hopeful stuff too. Yeah, um, man. Stuff to feel good about. Uh, anyway, so uh, remember, rate, review, um, we're, we're excited to be back and be doing the Quarring 20s. Um, subscribe. Quarring 20s. Uh, and again, 80s, let's, let's, try this, pandemic. Uh, let's try this mailbag thing. So email us yeah, with, man, hit us up. I, think, I think, literally anything you want to talk about. And uh, I mean, listen, I, you know, my schedule is, still, is, is pretty hectic these days, but I think I can squeeze it in. I yeah, can squeeze saving, in a two or two. Saving the world pod at gmail.com. Um, send us anything, no dick pics. Or send us a dick pic. I don't, you know, whatever. Or t- send, us a fun, send us a fun quarantine story, and maybe we'll read it. We'll read it, and uh, we'll answer any questions that you guys have. So uh, uh, stay tuned for this great conversation with Ed Abel. Dogs! Stop! And uh, Dogs! that's. On that note, let's go save the world. Oh, man. Okay. I got to – should we start the show? Let's start it. I keep hearing you're concerned about my happiness. But all that thought you're giving me is conscience, I guess. If I were walking in your shoes, I wouldn't worry much. What you and your friends are worried about me. Oh, wow. Okay. Can, uh, Can you hear us okay? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear Lucas? Lucas? Hey, yeah, how hear. are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear actually Lucas the best. He must be closest. Oh, hey. Really? Better than me? Uh, <laughs> I think my voice just carries really well on phones. Ah, okay. Um, no, I don't know. I, yeah, who knows? Technology escapes me. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Well, I'd be happy to try and have a conversation if it's something I know something about. Well, I, yeah, would I you, like would you like just for the sake of our listeners... Yeah, for the sake of uh, people listening, we're going to introduce you at the at the top. They'll have just listened to this introduction of you, but would you like to tell us in your own words a little bit about what you do and who you are? Sure. So I'm a professor in the Department of Preventive Medicine at USC. I'm actually the Division Chief of Environmental Health, and environmental health is one of several divisions in the department who are interested in the long-term effects of uh, pollutants on human health, specifically on air pollution. 
And so we have different researchers that are doing work to understand how air pollution affects the heart, the lungs, the brain, the liver, sort of all organs uh, once it gets into your body. And in addition to doing those research studies, we also teach and train students to go on to do either research in environmental health or public health administration or just to become better informed citizens. We also have a pretty active outreach program that works with community organizations around Southern California to help deal with some of the many issues that communities of color, communities of disproportionate impacts, communities of low socioeconomic status are all impacted by with, in, with respect to uh, contaminants in the environment. So speaking of con- right. contaminants, uh, you know, um, I, I'm sure you've heard about the coronavirus and um, what's going on. And I'm, I, I would assume you're also... Uh, quarantine similar to us um yes i'm working i'm working from my home great um so when you when you are when when you saw this starting and currently when you're when you're watching the news and um from from your perspective and your expertise what are you not hearing or what are you hearing that's wrong you know what what's your perspective on this in your research and everything yeah or what are you and all your friends at the at the at, at ucla talking about uh, well, USC, UCLA, UCLA, but I work at USC. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> USC first. Wow. I'm sure you have um, friends at UCLA too. I'm sure you have friends everywhere. But, yeah, uh, everybody well, else I mean, meets we, people at UCLA, right? Uh-huh. Well, that's only on sport. That's only on sports days. We actually work fairly closely together on a number of different research projects. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, what are you guys talking about with this uh, whole pandemic thing? Are you guys talking about this? Is this something that you guys are, are that affects your work, or is is it touches your research? Well, it certainly affects our work in the sense that, uh, you know, we've sort of all been sent home. Um, for those that teach, we've all been sent to online teaching. For those that do research, it involves, most of our research involves population-based studies. That is going out into the community and working with uh, participants to fill out questionnaires, to do lung function testing, to collect samples, et cetera, even to collect environmental... Hello. Ooh, I think we lost you there for a second. I have you Okay, now. great. So let's... Welcome back. Yeah, you're, you're, Welcome back. You were talking about not being able to go on the field. Our studies involves actual observational with volunteer oh. and You're breaking up again. Uh, okay, well, let me see. Maybe I need to move to a different place to get a little better coverage. Yeah, I'm hearing um, you good now. Whatever you're doing right now seems to be working. Okay. Well... So as I was saying, we do a lot of work out in the community or involving people out in the community. So we go out to schools or communities around Southern California to collect samples or have people come to us to participate in studies. And all that has stopped uh, to sort of uh, reduce the interactions, uh, notwithstanding social distancing, the kind of things we do. Uh, in terms of collecting samples, obviously that doesn't, that's not possible. In terms of collecting surveys and stuff, we can shift to an online uh, approach. So that's that's sort of working. Uh, yeah. I, of, you know, wow. I guess on, I hadn't yeah. really ever thought about how it could affect like ongoing scientific research. Right. It basically, it, it shut down most everything. Uh, the university sort of day to day has come out with new directives that basically have shut down everything except coronavirus-based research or uh, clinical care. And so everything's sort of being channeled into that. Do you think that's like, like Barry was saying earlier, do you think this is the right response? Do you feel like you would, you would respond differently in these situations or? 
Well, I think the response has been slow. You know, uh, this is sort of like a slow-moving accident. Uh, we saw this sort of playing out in China, in Korea, in Italy, and we really were very slow to sort of respond to it. That said, that you know, that sort of water under the bridge, we can't undo that. We just need to accelerate what we're doing. So, in your findings, I think, you know, uh, like, do, how how do people usually respond to environmental um, pollutants in you know, I mean, everything seems to be slow, but what is it? What does it usually take to get people to respond to a threat in a way that's real? Because, like you know, coronavirus, similar to a lot of environmental pollutions, you don't see it; you just see the effects of it. So it's hard to, you know, it's not like a snowstorm. Right. On the other hand, uh, coronavirus acts uh, much more quickly than the kind of things that we typically study. We typically are interested in air pollution long-term effects, which might take years to develop. Sure. And this takes days. Uh, right. So in this sense, people, I think people are becoming more convinced and certainly more concerned about this. Although at the start, I think everybody sort of believed it was something that happened to someone else or in some other country. Is it, In a weird way, is, is, is this sort of like a, an interesting moment, particularly for your field, because airborne pollutants are being cut at such like an, an unprecedented degree? Well, you, know you have to know. I mean, I think... In a in an odd sort of way, this is really is sort of a seminal moment in environmental health because we can see that uh, if we dramatically change our way of activities, how we get around, how much driving there is, for example, we see what the sort of almost immediate improvement in air quality is. And so, you know, it's been quite dramatic in many cities around the world. Uh, the question is, when we get back to sort of some sense of normalcy again, Will we take that and you know build upon it, or will everybody just go back to driving and doing everything they did before? Yeah, we were just saying, you know, I you mean, see those those uh, the, that the Venice uh, canals are totally they're crystal clear now, and there's dolphins in them, and you know, just a few days of of things not. Uh, I I can't even imagine how much less smog there probably is in L.A. You know, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, I I'll t I can I can tell you guys, like I went on a, a little hike. A little like a uh, respectful social distance hike for myself today out in Griffith Park, and I have in the ten years I've lived in L.A., uh, I have never seen clearer skies that weren't directly right after a rainfall. You know what right. I mean? Like it's yeah. it's a, the amount of mileage of visibility wise is astonishing. Like you yeah. can see parts of California that I don't think I've ever seen from Griffith, Griffith Park before. Uh, and that's just sort of, it's, it's hard not to just be staggered by how quickly that's changed. Well, I would like to hope that what this shows people once they're allowed to get back out of their houses and get back into some sort of regular routine that they don't probably need to be driving around as much as they were before. Um, but right, the whole idea, yeah. uh, that, that's not the only reason why we have air pollution in Southern California, but it's a big, it's a big reason. Um, the other concern though I have on the sort of on the downside is that there's been a lot of talk about sort of sidestepping all or many environmental regulations to speed some of the, uh, either some of the developments or some of the things we want to get back online, back into production, back operations. Oh what a nightmare. So, you mean to produce. And so if yeah. in fact they do that and they sort of ignore any environmental regulations to get things sort of up and moving, I didn't know that. then we're going to sort of pulse back into pollution very quickly. Yeah, it's well, kind of odd. Yeah, you know, that is we were talking about with our last downside. guest how, 
you know, we don't, we don't realize how, how many how, how many things there are that could affect all of us. You know, we see ourselves as these free agents. And then suddenly there's this thing that could just affect everything. And suddenly, I, I think that there might be a possibility that people might be more cognizant of how much the external world can affect them and affect their lives. Do you think so? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think basically people are pretty selfish. They tend to sort of worry about themselves first. This is something that has affected everybody. And I think, you know, in a, in one way, I think this is helping us to think that, you know, we should be worrying about uh, the people around us, our neighbors who maybe can't get out, the older woman or, or senior citizen across the street who you don't, you know, you just sort of wave to and make sure they're doing okay. I think this might make and not be so focused on ourselves. I mean, uh, if I could leap in here, I was talking to Barry before we started this, uh, before we got you on the line. And briefly, I was just, you didn't I, miss much. Was, briefly, yeah. I was just so, I got so angry today on this hike. And it was like really something I was like, oh man, I'm going to go into this interview really, really angry. Because everywhere I looked, people just were like groups of young adults, groups of adults just laughing and, you know, just like, you just like, you know, practicing no form of social distancing whatsoever. You know what I mean? Just absolutely not. And like not not taking care to be where where they were in relation to strangers. You know what I mean? People just like in everybody else's uh, personal space uh, in, in a way that you're just like, is you know, is, is completely avoidable and is just right. so selfish under the circumstances. Like no one is forcing this contact. Yeah. No one is demanding that this happen. In fact, everybody is begging you to please be a little bit more thoughtful and considerate in the way you enter into a public space because there are just unforeseen, far-reaching consequences to those decisions. Well, and again, because- it was infuriating to see just like it was packed, yeah. like the park was just packed with people. And I thought it would just be me out there by myself. Maybe I'll, everybody had that thought, but I just saw so many groups of people. Yeah. And it just made me so angry because I'm like, you're locking all of us in. Like none of us can go back to work till we all get on the same page about this because corporations and these large workforces and universities and campuses and everybody can't take the risk of, you know, potential infection and exposure and, and, you know, contagion, you know, so none of us can go to work. Right. Yeah, the problem is that as long as as long as these groups continue to congregate like this, it's going to just you know it's, it's going to continue. The cycle well, that's here. it. Just it just kicks the can down the road of how long we have to do this. Is this exactly? Do you often get frustrated in your line of work about uh, inaction because you see all these? I'm sure you see a lot of um, a lot of action, right? You know where things are taking. Like I read this article that that was posted um, that that um, I think it was an interview with you about how successful Los Angeles was at, at decreasing smog over the years and, and then how much that was reversed when Trump came into office. And, you know, like you know, being someone who deals with climate a lot, do you do you walk around wanting to punch climate change deniers in the face or, you know, like <laughs> well, how frustrating is some of this stuff for you with how much you know? Well, I think it's, you know, I think the, the general current federal administration has been very frustrating because it seems to be purposely sort of walking backwards on everything we've made so much progress, you know, on. And that's not to say we're necessarily where we want to be or need to be in terms of public health. But certainly so much of it has been sort of relaxed or undone. It really can be aggravating. I haven't quite gotten to the to the violent stage of wanting to punch anybody out yet. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, it's uh, it, I agree. It, it is frustrating to see sort of the stupidity 
and just the uh, the ignorance, really, uh, in some of the ways much of this is done, you know, beginning with dispensing with believing what any scientist has to say or even disregarding what any of the news media has to say or, you know, just going down this sort of purely political road um, seems to be just exactly what we don't need. And unfortunately, it's, it's sort of driven the country apart. And, you know, do you, do you find that when you, you have a study that you do and you're like, wow, these results are incredible? And then do you go, do you send them to, or do you send them to people who send them to, to the types of people who affect policy or to government officials? And then just, you know, like what is, what's the usual course of action and, and what's the, what's the, 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 the progress or lack of that you usually see? Well, usually what happens is we, we do, you know, we think of interesting or important questions that we don't have answers for. We try to get some uh, agency or some funding source interested in, in supporting the work. We do the work. We write a scientific paper that reports on it. We talk to the, uh, the news media about it, if it, you know, if and as it gets published and released. And then we take it to public meetings and so forth and present it to, to policymakers, to, you know, to mayors and to uh, state and federal agencies that hopefully take that science and use it uh, as a basis for, you know, improved public legislation. And in the current administration, uh, some of that has sort of been undone in the sense that they really don't want to hear too much from the science. And when they do, it's with all these sort of new bizarre rules about, for example, the so-called current transparency rule, where they're only going to consider data that everybody's willing to sort of tell them who provided it, which doesn't make any sense in a health context because people's personal health records are personal. So you can't tell them who, you know, was well, involved. It's just a game of making sure you can't tell them what they don't want to hear, right? They just, they're just right. creating hoops. There, there's yeah. no real, like, logic to it other than the obvious logic, which is that they just want to make it harder for people to tell them things. Right. And so yeah. that, that can be very frustrating. But uh, yeah. that's, sort of, that's sort of normal. Of course, you like to think that, you know, we, you know, obviously – we don't normally advocate for anything. We just present the science and say, here's what the science shows. You, you know, use that hopefully in a, you know, in a sensible way. And, you know, for example, a lot of our work has been looking at uh, the health impacts of uh, living near busy roadways, particularly on children. And, you know, that has led us to suggest that, you know, if, if children grow up near busy roadways like freeways, if schools are, and parks are placed by busy roadways and freeways, if homes are placed by busy roadways and freeways, you're exposing children, which will affect their lung growth, which will affect their whole life. Yeah. And so I don't tell you what to do about it, but the logical extension of that is we should try to avoid that if we can. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, in the case of LA Unified, we've talked to them about it, and they developed new policies that said, okay, from now on, we're not going to build schools so close to busy oh, roadways. Really? And, and so, the, the, you know, so that's a, that's a, you know, a logical step that you'd like to see done. Um, How long ago was but, that? You know, we have, to, oh, this is 10 years ago now. Oh, wow. Um, the problem, the problem is that in the case of LA Unified, they already had, you know, a hundred new schools on the drawing board and already purchased land for a hundred new schools. And so it's sort of slow getting into the pipeline, but at least they were willing to think about it in sort of reverse direction. And so you get into a, uh, discussion of what can you do in the current uh, reality as well as what can you do to change the future and so you try to provide the information and say here's you know here's an option for you 
And if they ask you, well, so what would you do with this? And you say, well, here's what I would do. But, you know, you're the you're the regulator. You have to decide. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always amazed at how many incredible minds we have in this country working out problems all the time. You know, I just read about this, um, the flu commission that it used to get to get before Trump ended it, that it would get, I think it was called that. I don't know if it was exactly that, but it was basically the group of the smartest epidemiologists and people who know about infectious diseases would get together every year and be like, what's on the horizon. Let's put together a whole report and let's give it to the president. And that group was ended um, in 2018, right after they made some sort of an announcement that a pandemic would be catastrophic. And then Trump basically said, no, I don't want this group around anymore. But I'm always amazed that there's so many minds. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And there is it's it's the, it's such a dark comedy there, so that many, we're in right now. What gives me a little yeah, hope course, is like, sorry. Yeah. What, what's that? I was just saying the comedy, of course, is that we're really living it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the joke's on us, definitely. <laughs> no, but I do think it's a little hopeful that there are so many smart minds, like the this Fauci, uh, Doctor Fauci guy, who's in. I mean, if it wasn't for Doctor Fauci, he seems like God. a really smart guy. And finally, I think we're listening to him a little bit. Whereas, like, it's a little late. But you know, there are these people who are out there, like you, who are doing these studies and. The, these things are on the horizon and there's there's a wealth of knowledge that if we finally get someone who pays attention to it, you know, we we can do a lot of things. Do you do you sense that or are you totally uh, fatalistic about this? Well, no, I think that's true. But I think that, you, that, you know, it's a little philosophical, but you have to take a step back and realize that science and government or politics operate in two very different ways. And this is something I talk to my students about. That, you know, in science, it's okay to be wrong. In science, it's okay not to know. In science, it's okay to, to find nothing. In science, it's okay to go back and say, well, you know, that wasn't not the right way of doing things. This is the way we should have done it. In government, all they want are absolutes, and they want it on a set time frame, and it's got to be now. And they don't like, you know, they don't like areas of gray. It's got to be my way or, you know, or no way. And it's something that's proven is going to work. And, you know, the real world doesn't always operate that way. And so, uh, you know, that, I think that's part of the conflict that, you know, the science will say, well, this is what we think will happen. This is what we need to prepare for. This is what the risks are, but there's no guarantee. And uh, often government wants a guarantee. If we do this, if we do A, B will happen. So where's the, well, yeah, where's the yeah, flaw yeah, then? Do you think the, the flaw is, is, I mean, obviously it's, it's easy that, you know, the flaw is in the politicians not listening, but do you think there's a better way to connect the science and, and policy uh, better than the, the way the current system is? Like, you know, is it more in the way it's sold to policymakers or is it in the in the facility, in the way that it gets to them? Well, I'm obviously biased because I'm on the science side. Yeah. But uh, I would argue that uh, what's important is to at least listen. Um, you know, I, I served uh, for several years during the Bush and Obama administrations on various national uh, committees looking at the national ambient air quality standards, for example, reviewing under the Clean Air Act uh, the, the national standards to protect the public's health for ozone, for particulates, for sulfur oxide, for nitric oxide, and looking at what the newest science was and, and deciding, do we know enough to to relax the standards, should we tighten it based on what we know, which direction are we moving in, and how do we better protect the public? And, you know, those conversations right now are really not taking place because the current administration doesn't want to hear the answers. 
So when yeah, you, I mean, were, I've never yeah, also understood that like they can they that they they can politic that it, it's okay for administrations to uh, politicize data. You know what I mean, or terminology, or like you know hearing like about like, the purging of certain like vocabulary terms from like you know and nothing referring to climate change in any sort of scientific study. It's like the fact that uh, science can be so easily politicized by an administration or by the government seems like a, a really problematic thing. But to you make. know, not to be hopeful here, but. I do feel like there's um, – it feels like this could be a tipping point in the direction of towards listening to science a little bit more. I, I feel like I feel like it could be because it, we're starting to really – we're realizing that, like, this can really affect us in a way that we've never had before. I mean, like the Spanish flu, yeah, but, you know. Actually, this is – this is this is actually I wanted to circle back to this and ask you a question about about your sort of experience and your work. Have you ever seen or like have you do do you have experience with like, you know, going out into the community, like you said, and, and maybe diagnosing a problem in that community and then seeing that community take that information and still actively act against their own interests? Mm, good question. Is that something you've come across? And like, you know, is that something you've come across, I guess? It happens from time to time. Again, you don't you don't win every battle. And so there have been times where we've taken our data and presented it to a city council or to a hearing, and, you know, they've listened to it, they've been respectful, they've considered it, and then they've made what we think is the wrong decision based on the information. Um, and so you don't win every one, but I think having that discussion is really important. Is there, would be can, you, can you of that? maybe yeah. like, well, can you can you sort of speak to like, is, is there like a commonality to when these when people sort of end up at, choosing the wrong decision? Is there like a common thread in these situations where people or when people act together in their best interest, like when they listen to you? Is there something some sort of like commonality that you've noticed? Uh, not really. I just off the top of my head. I mean, there's all different kinds of situations There are situations where, you know, there are just uh, some, you know, some tough choices to be made. For example, we have a tremendous homelessness problem. One solution is we need to build more housing. I think we all agree we need to provide shelter for more people. And a lot of people have said, well, why don't we build, you know, along the freeways? Why don't we build in all these open spaces? Why don't we open up these spaces? And uh, that's a possible solution. But again, looking at the science, we know that if we put young children and young families alongside the busy roads, we are essentially sentencing those children to a life of respiratory problems. Yeah. And, you know, so we're sort of putting it off, but the, the payment's going to come due and it's going to come due in the, in the, in the sense of their respiratory health later on in life. And so, yes, the short-term solution might be we get them off the street, but that long-term solution becomes a problem. And so, you know, I think it's a tough, you know, it's one of those wicked problems. Do we, get them off the street and build a build housing right alongside the freeway or do we you know not do that and then we still have a homeless problem we have to think of somewhere else to put them and so i think you know a, a lot of i think what we're finding out is that a lot of air pollution problems for example related to certainly related to uh transport to vehicle emissions etc have to do with urban land use policies how we build our cities, how we move people around, where and how we build our schools, our recreation areas. And so all those things are making it difficult for us to to make, there's not one magic answer. And so I think, you know, that's an example where the decision is tough. I've been in, in hearings where, you know, uh, a city wanted to put a skateboard park 
near a, a roadway for kids to play. And, you know, we want kids to get out and get exercise. Exercise is important. It's important for all of us. We're all too sedentary. All of us are too many couch potatoes. We need to get outside and exercise. But where and when and how you do it is important. I know. I think that's so interesting, think, you know, too. It's a trade-off. It's interesting, too, that there are prior, you know, you have to prioritize certain things. It's like, yeah, you were mentioning what if you build homeless shelters or housing near roadways, right? So, you know, you're risking kids, the, the health of, of children. But, you know, at some point, do you have to start going, well, it's better to have homes than than not have homes or, you know, you know, with any issue, I guess there's like what the sad part is, is with this coronavirus, they went, OK, well, what is the economy going to do if we panic about this now versus, you know, the, the, the our priorities seem to be skewed in that way. Do you, do you find that? Right. But look at what the economy's done now. I know. Since we waited. It, that's what's odd is like you start to go, OK, well, what's the what's the cost of that? You know, would we rather have homeless people on the streets or would we rather them live in houses near pollutants you know it's a it's it's it feels like there's a lot of that going on where we don't have well, a there's clear... always like i mean the funny thing is i feel like we always draw this like i mean for me i i think there's like a real problem of this like false dichotomy of just like those are the you know like we sort of always from a pol- like a top downward and i mean not saying there's an easy solution to this but we always present like oh there's only these two shitty solutions there's always like a third solution that we don't like to talk about that probably just involves a lot more self-sacrifice, which would be like, you know, mixed income communities where we're happy to have shelters and halfway houses in better neighborhoods and make space and development for like, you know, mixed in more, re- more regulated and more regular mixed income communities. Then you wouldn't have to worry about like, where do we throw these people? Cause we don't want that, you know, all these not in my backyard sort of sure. situations, the NIMBY types. But like, I, I feel like it's always comes down to these like, sort of like wicked you know choices but it's only a wicked choice if no one wants to sat like make a bigger sacrifice all right well again i think that goes back to sort of our innate selfishness and not thinking you know our first course of consideration is what about me and then we think about what about us and i think we need to think more about us and less about me because often when we think about us it collectively comes back and does me some good too. Well, yeah, yeah me yeah. is in there. I, I also, me is a part of us. I also think that the, the reason that, you know, to play devil's advocate here, the reason a lot of people have to think about themselves is because there's no real social safety nets anymore. And, you know, if, you, if you're on the precipice of losing your job right now, it's not like the state's going to help you that much. And it's not like the federal government's going to help you that much. So you start to go, okay, well, I guess I will still show up to work because my income's not protected. So I have to think about me versus if we had, maybe if we had some more social safety nets, it would allow people the room to think about others a little. Yeah. Well, I think that's a fair observation. I think that's exactly true. I mean, it's often, you know, you, you, we do, you know, we have a obligation to ourselves and our families. We want to provide food for our families and a shelter, a safe place, safe community for them to grow up with good education, et cetera. We all want those things for ourselves and our families. And I think, you know, often a lot of this seems to be either or, and we ought to be trying to work for how do we get as many of these things as we can for as many people exactly. as possible. Exactly. And that's with climate change too. It's being sold as, would you rather have income or would you rather uh, save the planet? And that's where I think a lot of people go wrong, where they're like, yeah, I'm not going to give up fracking because that's my whole job. I'm not going to give up coal. I'm not going to give up these things that are that are pollutants because I, there's no other choice. Like you're giving me the choice of, of my own peril to saving this amorphous world that, you know, I don't see. 
Right. Well, a bad analogy I always think about is, you know, that uh, the, the the current uh, administration and the president, you know, made a big deal about how we were going to save the coal industry, which amounts to you know fifty thousand plus workers. And the reality, of course, is coal was sort of fading out, not only because coal was fading out for a number of reasons, but also because coal was fading out because it was just not competitive economically against natural gas and other sorts of options. But you know, the reality is. You know, much as we would have liked to, to save them, we don't see a whole lot of blacksmithing going on uh, anymore to, to shoe horses. Um, you know, cars sort of took over. Um, yes, there are recreational uses, and we still have that, but it's not like it's a you know a tremendous industry anymore. And I think that yeah, if we cool. want to do like a reenactment village coal mine thing, where you can go visit the the reenactment mine and see what life used to be like as a miner, you know, for fun. I think that's a totally viable way to keep some coal mines I open. I totally agree. But, yeah, it doesn't I, make but sense. I do think, you know, to pitch this to coal miners to give up their income for this is, is a pretty rough pitch when they have no other choice and there's no social safety net. You know, and this is where, like, you know, basic income comes in and, you know. Yeah, universal basic yeah. income. Exactly. Totally. Right. Well, and absolutely. I mean, I think we don't we don't think about the totality of the problem. You know, for coal miners, for example, I mean, we obviously are not in a part of the country where coal mining is key, like in Virginia, Kentucky, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Um, but, you know, there were, there are, uh, you know, generations of family workers where my uncle, my grandfather, and you know, my brothers, everybody was in the coal mining industry, but coal mining is a, a dirty, dangerous, you know, terrible job in that sense. If you look at the health outcomes and the associate, it's a very difficult backbreaking occupation and i think that uh, you know not to not to denigrate it but to point out that you know it's uh it's an industry that i'm not sure we you know we would we would want to move forward i think we we do have an obligation to try and replace that for people in terms of jobs and policies and so forth and giving them some way to, to continue i mean that's part of the the overall american dream to, to find some better to move with the times find something better and you know i think we're moving towards a a more renewable, sustainable society. And unfortunately, you know, digging stuff out of the ground and burning it is not, uh, not the way of the future, I don't think. And when, no, you, when mean, you were on... Yeah, I, Sorry, it, yeah, Lucas. No, I was just going to say it's a bummer that we can't get, you know, that sort of like New Deal legislation, which was like, you know... Because my the funny thing, you know, my one of my... My great-grandpa worked in Pennsylvania running a general mill, like a, one of the stores for like a mining counter for the company. Like he had a company store. Uh, probably Joe. Oh, okay. They're all named Joe on that side of the family. <laughs> but uh, the, the Depression hit, the mines all shut down, and I remember like the, like he just let all the miners take whatever they could from his store. Like he let them clear out his shelves for free, and then he just picked up his family and they moved to Michigan. Wow. You know, and right. got into the, the auto boom, which, you know, worked out well for them come the 70s. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things where like, the depression hit, the job disappeared, and people sort of moved on. And I feel like the you know FDR was able to step in and try and be like, the government will guarantee that there will be some sort of job for you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we're gonna do our best to make sure that you're not just done. You know, we're gonna create industries. You know, we're gonna create. Uh, we're just gonna send people out to interview other people, so you have something. You know, and just like make recordings, and that'll be a job. You know, or we'll build giant bridges. And I think like this idea that like it's okay in these crises to write a trillion dollar uh, stimulus bill 
for airline companies that were making tons of money and not paying down on any of their debt while their CEOs were experiencing this like insane salary packages to be like, we can't in normal times in times of like non-crisis invest some of this money in, in, in these communities so we can move away from dying industries and, and, and these terrible sort of a perpetual bad health environments and these sort of like dying these poisoned ecosystems if we could take some of this trillion dollars that we now have to save the world and and spend it like on on getting coal miners into a better job i think that you know a lot of these problems just disappear easily yeah well you know i think that uh you know one of the things that the administration i think has gotten right is that the very poor state of our infrastructure our our roadways our sewage systems our sanitation our water a procurement uh, treatment plants, et cetera. And, you know, it might be that, in fact, we're, you know, sort of positioned for a New Deal type thing where we need to sort of rebuild the U.S. infrastructure, which if you look at the civil engineering reports are generally get about a D minus or something. Mm. Uh, when they look at what the quality of the, of the you know, because most of these are hundred are more than 100 years old and are, are failing. And so, you know, maybe we do need to think about uh, how do we revitalize America by doing something that helps the, the common good. And certainly repairing our roads, our, our, our uh, water treatment, our water access, our sanitation, our bridges. I mean, all these things need some work. Or, you know, I don't know how many, how many uh, hills or uh, how many bumps you've gone through <laughs> or yeah. how many sidewalks that have been cracked that you've tripped over. But, you know, I mean, all this sort of stuff uh, needs some re-examination. And my sidewalk is awful right in front of my house. Um, there's it's bits really of my bad. car that just periodically just fall off, you know, around this town. Just when I'm driving, just bits of my car just fall no, off. No, it's, it's true. But, uh, I think so when you yeah. were on that commission, though, with the, you know, you said it was under the Obama administration. Is that and Bush? Yes. Um, yeah. So it's under the, under the Clean Air Act. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what were some of the... Um, ideas that were floated around or what were some of the the things that were in the works whether or not they happened or not that that started being discussed well so under the clean air act every five years the national ambient air quality standards are supposed to be reviewed to look at the newest science and decide is the state of the affairs are the standards appropriate to protect the public's health the clean air act specifically says we need to protect the public health with an adequate margin of safety, but doesn't define what an adequate margin of safety is. God, man, there's, always these, there's always these words and these laws that you can just go to town on. There's just so much free space in there. Let's make so it leaves that to the EPA administrator to decide what adequate means. But it says, look, it says, look at the science and make a decision, make a recommendation to the administrator, and the administrator will, you know, just basically pick a number. And so there are lots of discussions, and although I, I do want to point out that in the Bush and, and Obama administration, so both the Republican and Democratic administration, there were these discussions taking place, there were decisions made, there were recommendations made. They didn't always follow what the recommendations were, but the discussion was held. I mean, the for example, in 2013-2014, uh, when the ozone standard was being reevaluated, um, there was a recommendation from the... Uh, um, committee that reviewed the data that the standards should be dramatically tightened more, that we were not protecting the public's health. When President Obama and the EPA administrator, Gina McCarthy, or I guess Lisa Jackson, maybe Gina McCarthy at the time, I forget. Anyway, uh, when the decision yes, was made, they, they picked sort of the, uh, the, the, the least uh, severe 
uh, of the a range of standards that could have been considered. So many felt like the standard should have been tightened dramatically, and they sort of picked the minimum. And so, yes, they're moving in the right direction. Many felt they didn't go far enough. That may have been political, may have been economic, may have you know a number of decisions. The president and the and the administration obviously have a lot more on their plate than just thinking about the science only. But there's a there's a, uh, an example where you know they look at the science, they give get a recommendation, they think about it, they think about everything else, and they they move forward. And uh, you know in this current climate, where most of the scientists have been replaced on the on the same review committees with industry people. Um, the decision now is being made primarily to favor industry. What can I ask? What what is up with the ozone? Do we still have the? Is the ozone okay now? Is that problem going better? No. no. Why are people not? Why are people not talking it's about the ozone worse. anymore? That felt like in the '90s. That was no. like a huge thing, right? Like don't don't spray yeah. hairspray was a big deal because it had uh, ozone stuff. Is that still a thing? Okay, so we're talking about two different kinds of ozone. Oh, the ozone display in your in your aerosol can has to do with chlorofluorocarbons getting into the atmosphere and affecting the ozone layer at the very top of the atmosphere, okay. which provides a, a, a essentially a radiation shield for the Earth to protect us from the incoming radiation, which otherwise we all get skin cancer from. Um, so that's important. We need the ozone up there. That's, that's what we call cool, good man. ozone. Well, it's okay now. Okay, good. We still have, it, it's repairing itself. Okay. The ozone down where we breathe, down here, which is a result of, of sort of chemistry that takes place in the air with the sunlight and the, and the sort of the raw emissions that come from cars and stationary sources and power plants and refineries and all these other sorts of things in the air and that sit and cook in the course of the day, that's considered bad ozone because it affects our breathing. And so we want to reduce that. We want to keep the good ozone up high in the atmosphere there. Yeah, they need, it needs the, a different name. The bad ozone Just down name here. It something yes, else. It needs, right. And so they, it's, a, it's a little subtle. They, they don't interact too much. They're sort of separated by several layers of atmosphere. There's a little bit of crosstalk, but not too much. But in terms of the ozone down where we breathe, in the last couple of years, it looks like the levels are starting to creep back up. And so we, you know, in Los Angeles and Southern California, we're still in violation of the national standard, we're still in violation of the state standards. And so we still have work to do here to clean up the air to what we think would be protective for public health. Wow. Yeah. I mean, is this just like, is this, is this mandatory, like carbon uh, cutting we're doing maybe the greatest, like the greatest silver lining ever? Well, it's, it's, it's uh, a silver lining in the sense that it makes us think about how we, generate energy, how we use it, and decisions we make, you know, sort of on a broader scale. And so it has a ripple effect. It has a domino effect. If you do one thing, something else that's good might happen. And so in that sense, it's a positive step. Moving away from, again, as I mentioned before, moving away from burning things to create energy is a good thing because whenever you burn something, it's never 100% efficient. You always have some byproducts. You always have some leftovers. And those leftovers are pollutants among other things. And there are things like carbon dioxide and different parts, different kinds of particles, which you can think of as little pieces of dirt floating around in the air, and they're different gases. And so whenever you burn something, be it in the fireplace, a match, a candle, uh, oil, gasoline, diesel, however you want to live is coal, um, you're going to have some of this come off. You just can't help with that. And so... So we got to get pockets switch to edibles. 
This is fundamentally we just, have, burn we just have to move. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to move away from burning things or to move create energy. To Mars. I have a, a um, really dumb I, question before we do a segment. Lucas, do you have anything? Yeah, I, I, I was just going to uh, also kind of a dumb question, but sort of related to what we were just talking about. Can I do my dumb question and then you do your dumb question and then we do a segment? Yeah, sure. Oh, you said so, <laughs> I just want to give this moment Go to just for it. let people see Go how for it. selfless you are. Here comes two dumb are. questions. You know what I mean? In these times, it's just it's nice to see someone <laughs> act, you know, sacrifice. Um, I, I guess like uh, if you could choose one thing, one change to remain permanent from this sort of like pandemic, like one sort of like one of the many things that is sort of altered while we're going through this, if you could pick one and sort of make it permanent, which would it be? That's not dumb. That's a really good question. That's a hard question. I mean, I think certainly on the environmental side, one thing that I, I would hope to keep is the reduced traffic, the reduced congestion, the reduced, you know, insistence on always jumping in your car and driving around because that has a number of benefits. I've actually been in my car more, which is kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> It just feels uh, no, yeah. I mean, but yeah, I I totally agree. It's traffic is un. It's it's so great now. Like if you drive anywhere now, it's just so easy to get it. it it's so easy to get back and forth. But yeah, that's a good question. Can I? So here's my dumb question. Um, yeah, I've just been driving back and forth to Malibu just nonstop <laughs> every day for hours. Um, I've just been sitting in my car to get away from my family. That's you know just with the AC on. Um, all right. So if we let's say you know like. Let's say everyone gets quarantined and completely like the whole world gets quarantined the way that a lot of us smart people are doing right now. How long would it take for the environment to kind of get better climate change wise if everything kind of just shuts down or like shuts down to the level where most of us are doing right now? Well, so climate change is a whole other story. The problem with climate change is there's sort of a, a big buffer in the system in that the half-life, the, the time in which carbon dioxide concentrations and methane concentrations and the, the other greenhouse gases in the air stay there is measured in years, not in days or weeks or months. Mm. And so, so we're saying five years, ten years? No, longer. I mean, okay, we see, so per, we see forever. It, we, we have see to be quarantined forever. Well, not forever, but you know, we'll, see, we'll start to see a change in, in a couple of years. But it, you know, we are we're a warmer. Generally speaking, on average, the, the Earth is a warmer place than it was, you know, over, certainly over the past several years and over the past several decades. And so, it's not going to change this year just because we stopped driving. So, you think sev several years you could see a marked difference if we somehow were locked down? Because Lucas had an idea right. when we were before, again, like we don't really talk that much before these podcasts, everybody. So I know we're going to get emails about this, but um, <laughs> we we were saying Lucas had an idea that what if there was mandatory lockdowns maybe two times a week, <laughs> every week? Would that would that be a smart you know, thing? Like or, three days, three days of uh, mandatory three quarantine days? That's half for the week. earth. Yeah, I mean, just the weekend. One, there should only be a four day work week. I think that should be mandatory. But then for a three-day week, you know, work, you know, three days out of the week, you can't, only essential travel. I think it's easier during a work yeah. day, but yeah, sorry, Ed. Well, no, I think, that, I mean, it's, it's maybe worth thinking about. The problem would be that everybody might shift all their activities into those those couple of days when they can get around. So there might be actually a, a bold mm. sort of a peak on those days to allow. Well, like, a, but staggered. Not everybody has the same days. You just have to they make do that in some countries. Some countries I know that, right. yeah. 
So that that might be worth considering. Again, you have to think about how this plays out. But you know, again, one of the things that I think we should get as a message from all this is that we can, in fact, survive changing our behavior. But we can, in fact, survive when we don't all jump in our cars and have you know 400,000 cars on the road every day. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a message to us. You know, that we see the the decreased traffic, the decreased congestion, the cleaner skies. And when you think about that, the problem, of course, right now is all the hoarding, all the panic, um, and unfortunately, all the illness, which we want, which is part of the reason why we want to all stay apart. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for uh, a quick segment on a lighter note. Uh, Ed, are you ready for a quick segment? There's going to be some rapid fire questions for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So this is called our lightning round. Thanks for lightning leaving round. me hanging on that, Lucas. Um uh, sorry, lightning round. Okay, so I was distracted. I was pulling up notes. So here's the rules. Um, you know, our listeners, and I'm sure Ed, you know that, but for you know the rules. But for people who haven't listened before, uh, I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions about you, about your theories, about just about stuff related to you. And then after all five are answered, you get 30 seconds to answer all five. They don't have to be in order. You just have to be honest. And then after that's right. done, then Lucas will do it. But don't worry about that yet. We're just going to start with my round. Are you ready? Okay, there's, a, there's, a, there's a memory test. Okay. It's a memory test, but it's also a test of honesty because we want to make sure you answer everything honestly. Okay. And we have no way of verifying it. So you just have to be honest about how honest you're going to be. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Lightning round. Round one. You ready? All five, and then we start. Here we go. First, I listen to all five. Here we go. Here we okay. go. Question one. What's the hardest part about knowing so much about the environment? Two. What's the best air you've ever breathed in your whole life? Three. David Copperfield or David Blaine? Be honest. Four. Should climate change deniers be charged with a crime or at least be legally silenced? Five. What's up with farts? Are they a problem? Go. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, I, I don't have a strong feeling about David Copperfield or David Blaine. Um, maybe David Copperfield. Oh, good. Right, um, right answer. I, I uh, would think in terms of uh, climate deniers, uh, they are entitled to their opinion. I just think that they don't understand the facts, and I think they'd like to think that if they listen a little harder and open up their minds a little more, they'd come to a different decision. Should they but, be silenced? You know, some of them become changing. Legally. Should they be silenced? I'd... I don't know if they can be silenced legally. There's a lot of things we'd like to do, but I don't think we can. Okay. Um, in terms of the best air I've ever breathed, uh, it would probably be either up in the uh, in up in Yosemite or, or Big Sur or out in Hawaii. Mm. Uh, and and uh, in terms of uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember what the fourth and fifth questions were. Okay, two left. Having trouble remembering them. Two left. Uh, You're doing better questions. than most already. Uh, 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 that's a problem. But did you say fart or barf? Farts. I'm not sure what the last one was. Farts. Are they okay? okay. Farts are okay. Well, I think that's <laughs> a problem in terms of overall climate change. Um, hopefully, we can do something about that in terms of uh, moderating. I mean, that's methane. And methane is a problem in terms of climate change and, and worldwide. So, no more farting actually. is what you're saying. No, no more, yeah, I don't know how we institute that. Maybe milder diets. Mm, um, <laughs> and then the. Uh, the first one. What's the hardest the part about? I'm helping you, and I'm not because you're doing oh, the so well. Part, the hardest part of what I what I do and is and knowing something is knowing frustration so about other people. Not, yeah, the frustration of you know getting other people to think openly and, and and accept some of these ideas and not be so close minded. Wow, 
That's great. You got four out of five. So I'm giving you four wow, points. Wow, so is that like four points? Four. I'll give you four and a half because I didn't ask you if you wanted help. I just went ahead and helped you. But that's four and a half points. That's great. You, that's you did, incredible. You had a great and that's much better. That's much better than Don from yesterday. <laughs> just, just sorry, Don. But uh, try harder next time you're on. Um, yeah, um, excellent. Um, and you okay, were right so about now, David Copperfield over David Blaine. That was an easy one. I mean, I yeah, I think that I think everyone agrees there. He's more Plus of a showman. Da- David Blaine just yeah. walks out in the street, and David Copperfield had he just yeah. he had he had spectacle. Yeah, yeah, we all agree there. Okay, um, you did a great job on round one. Uh, and, uh, so round two is going to function pretty much the same, except it's going to be me asking the questions. Okay. One question or five questions? Five again. Five questions. It's going to be identical. Oh. Five questions, but they're my five questions. Okay. I haven't discussed them with Barry. I know a lot, there's a lot of controversy on this episode because it seems of how much we've talked prior, but, uh, <laughs> we never discussed these questions beforehand. Uh, I can get that in writing for you if you need it. Um, are you ready? Ready. Okay. Lightning round. Round two. Who is the best scientist? Who is the worst scientist? King who believes you or president who doesn't? Do you vape, bro? Why or why not? What's your first memory? I I don't vape because I think vaping is a real problem based on all the other uh, chemicals that are in it that we don't know anything about. And I encourage anybody who vapes to stop. Uh, I agree. And uh, It looks cool, though. Yeah, you got to I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what memory is. I, mean, I never thought about what my first memory was. Uh, well, it'll just be your first memory. Oh, my first memory. Yeah, <laughs> good question. Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know what my first memory is. I guess there's a little kid crawling around, but I'm not quite sure I can put it into Just like in your brain, when you think, like, think what's, back, yeah, what's, what's the only memory? memory you have? It's just, it doesn't have, your first memory is just your first memory. Yeah, I don't, I don't. It can be when you're 25. I'm not sure of the uh, the timing of it. I remember as a child crawling around in the snow, but uh, I don't know what the, yeah. when it, how old I was when that was happening. That's okay. Um, you lose a point uh, for that, see. but that's okay. Yeah, lose a point for that. Okay. All right. The, I'm not going to do as well in this set. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the, <laughs> are, what the other questions are. Maybe I need some help here. What the okay. other questions are. Do you need are. some help? Okay. Yeah. Uh, a king who believes you or a president who doesn't? That's my favorite one. All right. I'd rather have a king who believes me. Uh, okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. You don't, need to, you don't need to get into it. You don't need to get into it. Um, uh, I mean, it just seems, yeah, a king who believes he's a pretty sweet situation. Um, who is the best scientist? Well, that's a tough one. I don't know who the best scientist is because there's so many different areas of science. I think the best I mean, scientist you, is... you know. We all know who the best scientist is. You can say it. <laughs> I, I actually don't know. I mean, it's, it's so many different fields, so many different issues. I think the best scientist is the one who sort of looks at things object, objectively and is willing to discard things and admit sometimes that they're wrong. Oh. But as a name associated with that, um, I don't have a so name. Not Neil deGrasse Tyson. Think. No, but that actually, uh, that is the. I feel like that is the correct answer. He never admits it. I'm not to give anything away, but that was the answer I was looking for. Okay. Now, who is the worst scientist? Also, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Well, the worst, again, all on the same line. I think the worst scientist is someone who believes they're right and nobody else has their vision and they don't want to listen. That's mm. um, sort of blows mine. Uh, to who the worst scientist is, again, I don't uh, have names, to, so I can't really identify. Well, there's, nobody, there's nobody you're working with right now that you're like, oh. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I don't, I don't have a name, I guess. Okay, I was looking for a name there, so I'm going to deduct half a okay. point, but you are correct. Okay. 
Um, I loved all your answers. Um, I think that I still wish I wish we could have gotten something a little more clear on first memory. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. people think that it has to be from when they're very young. I think that's like the trick of the question is people think it has to be from when they're babies. Mm. But it's honestly it's just it's just your first memory. So like, you know, I know what my first memory is because it, it's from when I was like a tiny baby. But I have a great memory, so I can't. I don't hold you to my standards, though. I was being carried by my parents up to our first apartment, and I remember the doors. Um, they're candy red. They're candy red. That's my first memory. I remember. I, I, guess, like, I guess, in my defense, I guess I'd have to say that my guess is I'm much older than you are, so I have a lot more memories, so they get kind of cluttered. Whoa. Okay. Fair. 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 <laughs> Okay. Okay. I would argue quality over quantity, but okay, for sure. No, no, no. You've you've, you've proved your point. You have you know, my many first, more memories. My first than me. memory. I was at a video store. I remember this, and I knocked over a bunch of VHSs, and the guy who worked there got mad at me. <laughs> Understandably. Yeah. Um, all right. You just like. Uh, yeah, uh, great job. So I would say I'm going to give you four points. Whoa! Four points. I'm deducting half a point from the first memory. And half a point Eight because I didn't want you to name points. the worst scientist. That is great. Um, but other than that, I thought they were great. That was great, great answers. Really, really. And thank well you for done. your honesty. Yeah, um, you're welcome. I have a, another quick question for you. So you you were saying earlier, you know, about the um, how unsure it is sometimes when you go in front of policymakers with your studies and you try and get things actually done on the ground. So what? How do you approach uh, research and research projects that you go? you go into is it is the mindset to get um policy done or are you as a scientist or as a professor trying to just kind of learn something is it what, what motivates you oh different kinds of research generally speaking we try to answer a question we think of an important question or interesting question and try to understand what's going on so there's no download application necessarily although in terms of getting it funded you need to sort of envision how it might be used and sort of sell the idea so that sort of might be sort of in the back of your mind, but in terms of doing the work and planning how it might be done, you sort of think about the question you want to address. Um, and why is that important to you? Well, because there's a lot we don't understand, for example, with regard to health effects of air pollution. You know, I think it's a reasonable question to ask, does air pollution affect children's ability to learn? Does it affect their brain? You know, and that's an important question, obviously. Uh, up until about uh, 10 years or so ago, nobody really thought much about it and couldn't really understand how air pollution might affect your brain. Mm. Now we know much more and see that, in fact, it does. Um, and that has obvious, obvious implications in terms of education, in terms of uh, you know, uh, prioritization for cleaning up the air, because, uh, again, for subsequent generations and for the life of this child. Um, um, so I think you know it depends on on how you frame it and how, and how you sort of oppose it or propose it and how you move on it because again mission oriented work when you're trying to do something is a little different than you know just uh, investigation discovery type work trying to understand some mechanism. And what are you working on okay. now? Do you have any uh, interesting things that that are uh, being undertaken? Uh, right now, I've, I mean, I've, I've sort of been at this for almost 50 years, and now I'm shifting more into teaching and mentoring and, you know, getting the next generation of people sort of into the program and thinking about these things. And that's sort of my goal to get, you know, 
more people informed to make better choices. I mean, a lot of what my generation had done is not made such good choices. <laughs> such, uh, yeah. And so trying to get people to make better choices with more information, because decisions get made whether you have the information or not. And so I think trying to get people to be just more informed, they're not looking for everybody to go into environmental health research, but rather just to be smarter about political and social decisions we have to make. That's what I'm working on and on the teaching side. On the research side, we're doing a couple of different things. We're looking at uh, the impact of, of, you know, different sorts of toxicants that are in the air. So, you know, we have a study going on looking at what happens in communities where there's urban oil drilling. We have studies going on looking at what happens in areas downwind of the Salton Sea where the, you know, the, as the sea evaporates and wind, the winds oh, blow, yeah, what happens really to people that live below that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but aside from it being smelly, there are also potentially some respiratory and, and longer term health effects yeah. of different of different issues. And so, you know, there are different opportunities like that that come up all the time that we're thinking about trying to understand. We are working with several community groups around the, the city looking at, you know, everything from sort of the, you know, a, a local, you know, smelt, a local, uh, um, a chrome plating plant or, you know, being a problem to a, a, a battery recycling plant to I've been doing, I've been working for almost 20 years down in the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach, thinking about how the cargo goods movement the and all the shipping that comes into the port, how that affects the communities and how we can try to improve the quality of life and mitigate the, yeah. the effects on that, on all the shipping, because there's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but it also has very dramatic impacts on the communities of, uh, that, that line the roadways, but also that live right there where the ships and the port uh, uh, exist. So there's lots wow. of stuff going on. Okay. Uh, well, I have a, a question for you since uh, you're sort of in the teaching, mentoring phase of things right now. If there was like any, if you were like, oh, hey, people, there's one book that I think everybody should read. Or that I, you know, like, uh, like, you know, is is there is there one you'd recommend? Is there like a, a book that you're like, this something is something if, if people want to learn about it? But yeah, it could be your book. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I have to plead sort of ignorance on this for the following reason: I've moved away from books per se because okay. so much is coming out in the way of articles, you know, published well, articles. If you have, if, yeah, maybe if you have an online an resource that you too, think people yeah. should check out or like an online periodical or, or someplace where you think people should yeah. go online to, to learn more. Yeah, I think, yeah, so I think environmental health news is, a, is an important and valued top, uh, area to look at. So I think that would be something that would be worthwhile taking a look at. Okay, and is that like a specific thing or is that just like a Google term that people should, people should just Google environmental no, health news? That's an actual magazine online. Okay, is that like a dot? Is right that now. ehn.org? Ehn.org? Great. Environmentalhealthnews.org. Cool. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, there's uh, the, the first headline is Coronavirus Impacts to Energy Use, the Economy and, I don't know why I said that weird, and Consumer Behavior. <laughs> this is interesting. Wow. BPA exposure. Okay. Wow, this is great. So I, I had one final question. I don't know if you had any more, Lucas. Um, I mean, before our, our real final question, which, you know, everyone mm. knows what that is. But yes. what um, what do you see coming down the line as something that could uh, realistically, and you're not allowed to be totally hopeless on this, so you got to have some something for us, that could be realistically hopeful about climate change that you've seen talked about or done? Well, I think that the, uh, the, there's, uh, there's a movement afoot that many people are 
slowly getting in line with, which is how we're moving to sustainable energy pathways, we're moving to alternative energy. And I think uh, because of the, the the pressures that we're seeing with regard to changing environment, uh, that's going to accelerate. I think we are going to move to electrification. We are going to move to cleaner sources of energy. And I understand it's going to be painful in some places, certainly with regard to the oil and fossil fuel industry. But I think it's a, a change that has to come, and I think it's a change that will come. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. And I, th- uh, and I think our sorry, final, as a, as a uh, person, is that our thing, final question? I was just gonna say, like, I I feel like, you know, we had, once had a guest on here that was saying how how easily we all can get together and do stuff because look at what happens when we have a war. You know, like after World War II, we suddenly shifted the entire economy in a matter of I think like less than a year. You know, so we can do it if we feel like the threat or the 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 incentive is big enough. I don't know. That always gave me hope. Well, let's let's hope that's true. That we come through this. We have to have a war, though. That's the only way. Well, <laughs> yeah. well the, the president claims he's a wartime president. No. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. I oh, mean, what okay. the, the things that guy will claim are, uh, frankly, just you know, jaw dropping. Okay. But uh. Yeah, uh, it's a, I mean, I feel like we kind of asked our final question there, sort of, or got well, the answer to Well, I think to what it. we what we ask uh, we want to ask is what what gives you hope in this time right now? Like, what what's a way we can be hopeful? Well, again, I think that uh, you know many people, although often people dis you know dismiss or dispel the current generation as being too much of a me sort of generation. I think people are waking up and being more concerned about. Uh, issues like sustainability, issues like climate change, issues like thinking about society writ large, and so I think that that is optimistic. I think that uh, I think that there's a lot of hope to to move forward, and again, trying to help point them in the right direction, trying to give them the tools to to move forward and make decisions. I think is is sort of exciting. So, I you know I teach at a number of different levels, from sort of undergraduate education up to graduate schools and and PhD or even medical students, but. I have to say that, you know, I get a lot of pleasure and, and, and it's a lot of fun working with the undergraduates because you see the light bulbs going over their heads and they get excited about doing something and they go on to all, to all kinds of exciting things. That's amazing. Awesome. I agree. Great. Um, Is there any okay, way we well, can be hopeful about this coronavirus thing? Because that's what I'm really scared <laughs> of, too. Do you see? Yeah, we're well, going to be okay, right? We're going to be okay, but it's it's not going to happen next week or next month. I think this is going to be with us for a couple of months, yeah, at least. Okay, good. Yeah, I think so too. I think the timeline is a bit longer than anybody wants to really wrap their heads around just yet. Right. Just just, just crunching the numbers, I think there's just no way it uh, resolves itself in a month. But I mean, no. that's just maybe that maybe you know that's just me. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us, and that was like uh, I really appreciate it. It was really fascinating, man. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Really, yep. it, was, it was really cool. Well, thank you. Hopefully, it uh, made for an interesting conversation, and and your listeners will enjoy it. I think they, and yeah. These I two think... listeners already have, but we're, uh, yeah, you know, we're, yeah, we're, you know, we're biased, but whatever. We're biased. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Thanks again. Playing solitaire till dawn with the deck of 51. Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Now don't tell me I've nothing to do.